0: Difference is not a threat, diversity is not a threat, it's the stuff of life. It's what will enable us to stay the course into, you know, this particular human experience as a collective. Nature Confidence is, uh, is about bringing nature consciousness back into human ways of making decisions and relating to, the, to ourselves and to the world at large. Because if we do feel and understand that we are relational, we wouldn't make those decisions. We would figure out a way to balance this. This is what nature governance is about.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. Today's guest is Alexander Pimor. Alexander is the director of Global Nature Governance at Earth Law Center. She leads on the Nature on the Board project, which is a pioneering endeavor to expand the scope of rights of nature across legal systems, corporate boards, and any decision-making body to foster a global nature-earth-based governance practice. I'm so excited to speak with Ali. Some of the listeners might be aware that with some colleagues like Michelle Blanchett, Andy Middleton, and Charlotte Hankin, we're playing with the idea of putting nature on the school board. And this is still an idea that needs to conceptualized, needs to come together, but we are strongly inspired with the work of Nature on the Board, at Faith in Nature, and certainly Alexandra. So this is a conversation that unfolds, unfolds slowly but deeply, richly, woven, lots of different threads that seem not to be connected but then come together. And I highly encourage you to really pay attention to the way you are part of the conversation, the way that you bring yourself to it and participate in this because so much of how it unfolds is about the bringing in the listener and seeing ourselves as more than just two people speaking, but also about the space we create with the wider audience, even though they might not have been physically there or virtually there as we spoke. If you're interested in learning more, check out www.coconut-thinking.com. And www.natureontheschoolboard.com. Looking forward to your insights, to your thoughts and comments. Again, that's www.coconut-thinking.com. And in the meantime, I'll leave space for my conversation with Alexandra. Hi, Ali. I've been looking forward to this conversation quite a bit since our initial, I guess, chance to speak one-on-one. Although we met on the bioleadership uh, project, uh, I guess, gosh, that was a few months ago as well. And we talked about specifically what it would take to put nature on the board. And you have a specific role in this as a a proxy for nature. And and our conversation kind of took on its own life, and I was really excited about that. So this is going to be a wonderful space, and I've been looking forward to this for, for a good month now. So I will start off with the question that I ask everyone, which is, who are you and what story do you want to tell?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this conversation too. So I'm Alexandra Pimo, I am a nurse lawyer. Um, I'm also the Director of Nature Governance at the Earth Law Center. Um, the story that I would like to tell, I guess, about me is uh, a story of courage for for me personally, you know, like the courage that it took me To come onto this particular path, Um, I was a senior law lecturer for about 20 years in the UK. I was teaching European Union law primarily, uh, and public law and human rights and so on. And, uh, you know, I've always really enjoyed teaching. It's like my first passion, I guess. But after a while, I wondered what I was actually contributing to society. Now, don't get me wrong, it's incredible to be doing this work with the students Um, the context of higher education though in the uk progressively became marketized so the teaching became a little bit more mechanical or the the, the environment became a little bit more mechanical especially with the introduction of, of student fees because then students were not students anymore they became customers and the relationship really changed and that made me wonder what I was doing really. What is my purpose? Um, and I think we all ask ourselves this question, you know, what is my purpose? And I at first I thought this is something that needed to come from beyond me. You know, I'm not a religious person, as in I'm not a practicing religious person, um, but I have a spiritual understanding of life. And so I, I thought, oh, my purpose is out there. And it will come to me and it it, it didn't actually come to me. Um, I came to it essentially through a lot of deep work, personal work, um, questioning what I want to experience in life. And uh, that has led me to discover the concept of Ikigai. Uh, it's a Japanese concept, which um, which means the reason for being I call it the inner smile. So, you know, what makes me happy? What what makes me, what is my vibe? What makes me alive? Um, and with the Ikigai, you have the four circles, uh, the circle of grace, the circle of value, the circle of love, and the circle of excellence. Uh, in the Western world, these have been interpreted in a more mechanic uh, or mechanistic way, but the way that I understand them, it's about, you know, finding the balance between those four elements where you attend to some of them as and when. So the circle of grace, for instance, um, it's the circle of value. What do I value and what do I value about myself? What is of value to me? What matters? The circle of love is what do I love? What animates me? What makes my heart beat and brings me joy? The circle of excellence is the circle of, you know, consciousness. This is how I interpreted consciousness in that. How do I become who I want to be? How do I, how am I? Who am I? What am I? It's the circle of being. So it's not just about competence and talents. It's it's the becoming, you know, the intentional becoming. And then the circle of uh, Um, The circle of, uh, was it, which, grace, love, excellence? Yeah, the circle, actually, the circle of grace is the circle of value, but then it's the the circle of kindness. Sorry, the circle of kindness is usually attached to the question of uh, what does the world need? The way I I look at it, what what do I gift the world? What is my gift to the world? What is my care? It's a circle of care. And uh, by looking at all of these circles and not trying to pin anything down, but just to feel my way through it, I've I found that actually the only way for me to be truly happy to understand what my purpose is, is within the whole. Because we don't exist without somebody else reflecting that existence to us. That is part of becoming self-aware. That is part of becoming conscious in my understanding, in my experience. And um, as I as I went through this circle or these cycles of circling around each areas, um, well, the referendum happened. <laughs> I'm French, so for me, the referendum meant a great deal. And uh, and I started thinking, okay, what do I want to do? Do I stay in the UK? Do I go? Um, so all of these questions were relevant because every single area of my life was put into question at that moment on a personal level on a a family level on a professional level and so looking at the ikigai i really asked myself you know um what do i want and asking that question is is freeing but it's also scary because when you realize that you have free will which is what we're being told which is what the universe seems to be telling us as well we have free will what does that mean then if I have free will, what do I want? And then how do I choose in the right way? All of this, I'm telling you the story, because this is how I became conscious of my own leadership. My specialty or my expertise is into conscious leadership and conscious governance. And conscious leadership is, um, is first and foremost, inner leadership. You know, the, the traditional conventional understanding of leadership is something that, that we perform on the outside. And, you know, there's one individual, and then there are followers. My understanding of leadership is that, if the root is to lead, we all lead our lives, right? Therefore, we are all the leaders of our own life. That means we are leaders, every single one of us. What do we lead and how and what do we follow? Because leadership is about, you know, going into the unknown. At least that's how I understand it, as opposed to management. Management is managing the known. Leadership is literally having the courage to go into the unknown. And that's where I had to find my courage. How do I go into the unknown? How do I step into the unknown? How do I take this leap of faith? into the unknown and what I meant by the unknown then was like my purpose. And how do I find my purpose? How do I understand my purpose? And then I realized I don't have to find my purpose. I have to choose my purpose. That's what free will is about. When we have free will, we, we have the freedom to choose what our purpose is within, within the parameters of our lives as we understand them. Therefore, for me, there was a, a great deal of disconstruction happening about who did I think I was based on the conditioning, the stories I had been told about myself, the things that I'd heard about myself. What did that mean? How did I make sense of all of this? Um, and did I agree? Were these stories real? And they may have been real. Uh, I read somewhere that there are you know, a gazillion versions of you in every single people that you've met. And it's true. But is any of these versions me? Um, And these are the questions that I was asking myself. And the, the framework of the Ikigai helped me give myself some structure, some very flexible structure, the idea of the circles. For me, it's like the flower of life. And each time at the center, it's the seed that is my centre, that is my heart, that is like my North Star really. Wherever I go, you know, the flower will move. Doesn't matter which which circumstance, which situation, which um, field I find myself into. At the end of the day, whether I step into a professional setting, in a personal, in a social setting, the common denominator is who I am. It's me. And there may be different versions of how i manifest who i am according to the different relationships i interact with or develop or nurture at the end of the day the the, the core relationship is with myself it's to my being and that understanding led me to develop my conception of um, inner leadership or conscious leadership which is how do i become aware of the decisions that I am making and so for me it's understanding what is the life that I want to experience first of all it's the experience it's the vision what do I want to feel and therefore what what does it look like what is the vision so what do I imagine so the feel first then the imagination and uh, how I want to feel is joy happiness these are my key feelings as if I was my baseline. And what does it look like? Well, it looks like, you know, my family, my children are, you know, we are all healthy and we're all happy and we are all abundant. Uh, And that abundance is not just material abundance. It's love. It's joy. It's, you know, it's the ease of living. It's the pleasure of living the relationships and the experiences, the memories that that we create together. So once I've understood this, then I start taking a few steps back, you know, Um, if I know what I want to feel, and if I have a vision of what it looks like, what will it take? And therefore, what do I value? (laughs) That's where we're going back to the ETI then, what do I value? So I've, I've looked at the circle of love. Now I look at the circle of what I value and values. I learned this from a, an amazing guy called Mo Choice. He's a brilliant coach um, and he's the first one, or the only one really, who's, who's just blown my mind in his understanding of values and made me understand that there is um, what we call aspirational values. Well, I call them aspirational values, so symbolic values. And then you have performative values. So if I say that, you know, I value peace, but my behavior is constantly angry, then I don't value peace. I value letting off steam. <laughs> That's not the same thing, right? So if I value peace, my behavior will be aligned with this because that what I value then will be peaceful relations. That means I will seek to listen, to understand I will seek to calm my being. So these are the performative values. You know, I will perform, uh, I will behave in a way that cultivates, that nurtures peace as I see it. And peace is not static, it's not rigid, it's a practice as well. It's a practice um, that we have to attend to on a regular basis. Um, So once I've I have my values, that's when I look at how to become, you know, then how do I practice this in a way that is genuine and authentic and aligned? Because then it's, you know, what is my purpose? And by that, you know, it's what is my gift to the world. Because I I can't, you know, I can look at myself and what what I value. But I don't want this to be to the detriment of anybody else, because we are, we are. whole, we are a system, we are, and by system I don't mean the mechanic system again, I mean the living system, the organic system. So I realized that what I value is peace and kindness and compassion in life, which means that my purpose is to be compassionate, it's to be kind, and to ensure that we all have the chance, you know, the opportunity to do that, to be that, to enjoy all of that, and I, you know, the day that I acknowledged this for myself, you know, what is the gift that I want to bring, that I want to be in this world, I thought, ooh, am I, de- you know, I am I am an idealist, which I've been told, or, or a hippie, which I've been told again, and I own these things now, because Yes, my aim, my, my purpose is to change the world, because the world that we live in, the world that we have been living in, has has, um, has given away too much credence to cruelty, to oneself, to each other, to our environment. It's, um, and I think, you know, what, what this cruelty hides is a lot of pain and fear and insecurity in a lot of people. And uh, this is like, like a sort of like a long story thing. But the point is, once I realized that my aim was, you know, to be the change that I want to see in the world, that's the whole being the gift and the circle of excellence. Then I I asked myself, what is the world that I see now? And what is the world that I want to experience to help co-create? And therefore, What is the change that I want to be? And that's how I landed myself into the field of earth law, into the field of nature governance, because this is the root of absolutely everything. Um, As far as I'm concerned, the way that I look at it, we we are the earth, we are nature, we are rooted on this planet until we figure out a way to leave this planet, which we may one day, we are this planet, we are of it. We are a product, we are uh, an offspring, we are earthlings. We are connected to each other in that way. And I really, really believe that once we truly acknowledge this at the global level, our behavior will change, our collective and individual behavior will change. Because we, once we understand that we belong to each other in that, you know, in that earthly way, as um, Tabitha Jane of Tadi would say, our Earth self, if we, once we understand that, we understand that we are all related, therefore we are relations to each other. And once we relate, we can feel and we can understand each other. And that means we can start caring truly authentically about ourselves, about each other, because we understand that caring for ourselves means caring for the collective. And caring for the collective means caring for all of us.
1: I usually uh, follow up the question with how do you define learning? But there's too many threads here to pull. And we might get to that question a little bit. The one thing that I want to kind of explore further is... What some might see as tension or contradiction, but the way you've presented it is actually a complementarity between the self and others and the collective, and that entanglement between the two. So the fact that you talk a lot about your purpose, you talk about your free will, but you also talk about relationships and being part of the whole and being earth and and acting in, in such ways that leave marks on the world. And so there seems to be a, a little bit at first glance and, and maybe at the more meta narrative glance the contradiction wait hold on is it are we, or is it myself or is it the world but it's actually both in many ways and when you were just describing we are part of the whole I, I and then we are all related i just had the image of the big bang and how every single atom was entangled with one another in the universe and therefore there is a quantum physical entanglement of all of us together and that we cannot separate and and i just want to maybe go a little bit further in exploring that um that superposition between you yourself and how we are the whole at the same time how we can exist in both and as both at the same time we
0: already are <laughs> that's the thing we already are um the beauty of the human consciousness and i cannot speak for other species um not in that sense but as a human being myself, the beauty of of the human experience is that we are conscious of our experience. That consciousness is both a blessing, and at times it's also a curse, because once we become conscious, the question is how do we qualify that experience? And, you know, when you think about uh, human evolution, like the human being. Uh, I have two children, uh, a son who is nearly 11 and a, and a daughter who's 13. And I, I watched them, you know, when they were growing in, in in my belly, I could feel them, they were a part of me, I could protect them, I could, you know, and they were a part of me. That, that was the main thing. And I was surprised, like, how did I grow <laughs> these human beings? And then they were born. And I carried them, uh, you know, in a in a scarf around me. They were constantly on my chest, listening to my heartbeat. I was feeling theirs, um, the skin to skin on a regular basis, the the vibrations, you know, the smell, everything. We were still so very connected for quite some time. And then, you know, they start to walk, they start to move on, but they are still very much attached to the parent for quite some time, and then starts the process of individuation. Individuation means that they become aware of who they are. And first they start becoming aware of who they are by trying to look like everybody else, or by copying what we do, or by copying what their peers are doing. That's the learning process. We learn by observing everybody around, thinking that somebody's got the answer on how to be human. The conversation that I have with my kids It's very similar to the question that I asked myself as a kid, how to be human. I remember watching my parents and watching all the adults around me going, ah, is this how we are supposed to be? Is this what I am supposed to do? We are looking for different models of being human. And we, at some point we separate ourselves from what we know, which is also part of the hero's journey, right? First, we are part of the system and then we want to separate ourselves because we want to start becoming autonomous and independent and finding our own voice. But we separate ourselves from the root, from the mother or from the father figure, from the parent. We are looking for peers. Humanity has done something very similar. You know, when you think about it in terms of spiral dynamics and how we have evolved, we have gone through that phase of adolescent, I want to do my own thing. And I'm going to develop that style, and we've done this by separating ourselves from Mother Nature. And I, I know that when I say Mother Nature, this can be controversial for for some people because we are gendering nature. Um, but I mean by that the feminine energy, um, the life giving, you know, the birthing energy. We've separated ourselves from nature, from this. Understanding that, understanding that we are earth and we have wanted to ascertain our supremacy as opposed to our sovereignty. We have attempted to oppress in order for us to lift ourselves up. What we are now fully into i was going to say entering but i believe that we are now into this new paradigm we are just learning to articulate it more clearly and certainly the next generation are already very much aware that we have to take care of ourselves and each other you know as as earthlings as well what we are experiencing now is the next level of consciousness when we're not trying to separate or to destroy or to divide in order to define who we are, but we are understanding that we are, there are more similarities and commonalities in order. We're learning how to nurture, we're learning how to care. There, And so we are learning to, we are relearning that we are part of the whole, but that does not mean that we have to be standardized. It does not mean that we are uniform. Being one, being united does not mean being uniform. It does not mean being the same. We don't have to be carbon copies of each other. We're not supposed to. Everything in life that is life is diverse. Hence the importance of biodiversity. And it's not just the the natural biodiversity of our natural environments. It's also the biodiversity of human species within our human systems, of human thoughts. This This is why freedom of expression is so important because we have to be able to discuss all kinds of ideas, especially, I would say, those that do not sit well with us individually. We have to understand that difference is to be celebrated because that's what makes us stronger. Difference is not a threat. Diversity is not a threat. It's the stuff of life. It's what will enable us to stay the course into you know, this particular human experience as, as a collective. So, you know, the, the, the image that I have in my mind of the, the individual and the collective is the dot and the circle around the dot, you know, and it's zoom in and zoom out. If the individual does not take care of themselves, um they can't really take care of the collective because we know that if one individual is into sickness, it affects everybody. Now, in some cultures it means that we cut off what is not right what is not well what does not actually sit with us what does not like, align with us but in other cultures there is a, a you know an element of caring that is different which is you no know, you know if you feel the pain we all feel the pain therefore we all come together and you know I've experienced this probably even more so um, through grief um bereavement in particular when my mother passed away and um, because even though this was a very singular experience for me this was my relationship with my mother but then it was also the relationship with my siblings my mother was not just my mother then then it's like a nucleus right you know it's that you start with this little cell and then you start as of like growing more cells and together we become bigger so it's understanding that individuation as a single cell but then understanding that that symbiosis as a bigger cell as a bigger organism this is why for me there is no dichotomy there is no division there is no separation it's just a process of individuation which is linked to self-awareness of consciousness and understanding that we are all interconnected I am because you are. That's Ubuntu. In a very, very simplified way of describing it. Solidarity is the Eurocentric way of describing Ubuntu. You know, what happens to you happens to us. Therefore, we pull our resources together. This is why, you know, as a European Union lawyer, I've looked at the European Union. And I really, this is where, this is how I've developed the concept of conscious governance. Because looking at the European Union, this I've noticed, I mean, when you think about Europe, centuries of wars right i mean europe was was an idea it was a myth first then it became an idea and then the unity of europe became an ideal how do you unify europe when you have so many different countries with so many different histories and legal traditions and political traditions and cultural and languages uh you know how do you do that it took so many. I, I remember reading somewhere that it took well over a hundred attempts to unify Europe over centuries through oppression, through conflict, through wars, and we reached that level when when the disasters, the, the devastation of World War II actually reached its peak of of you know human cruelty, because then we thought, right, what do we do? already well you know the first world war was was like this is the last war we're not going to do it again but what happened after that is that instead of seeking peace we sought retribution and revenge and germany was humiliated after the second world war the founding fathers had a change of heart a change of consciousness metanoia a conversion of the mind and they said we need to seek we need to cultivate forgiveness in order to move forward, because we cannot keep on doing this eye for an eye. We cannot keep on seeing each other as separate. And we cannot keep on fighting each other because we are so-called different when we are, in fact, part of a bigger family. And that's how we got the European Union. I'm not saying that the European Union as a as, a, as an entity today is, is perfect in any way. You know, what is perfection? But it is the first instance of supranational conscious governance in action, because once we decided for peace, everything in the construction of the European Union was geared for that collaborative decision-making, collective decision-making, solidarity, community. We pooled our resources together because then it, it became the core through which we could work with each other because my interests are your interests. Communality a shared ground. That's what is happening today. You know, on an ecological level, we have to come to understand that this is our earth, this is our common earth. And when I say ours, I don't mean this in a possessive, we belong to the earth. It is our responsibility to watch our behaviors, so that we can keep on nurturing life on this earth. So for me, it's the next step of evolution is conscious governance. And that's that's what we also call nature governance. It's nature conscious governance. It's understanding our nature consciousness, integrating it into, a, into our decision-making, into our planning, strategizing, into our living, into our collective living.
1: So let's talk a little bit about nature governance and specifically your role and with Earth Law and, 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 and uh, where you sit and what that might look like Concretely, or or day to day, or year to year, or or maybe there is no certainly no set model, but but what's the spirit of what that might look like? If we could help envision, or or help our or the listeners envision what what that might be.
0: This is a really good question, by the way, um, especially because I like the way you say, you know, how do we do this on a day to day or year to year? And I will I will tackle that bit first because when we look at you know climate just if we look at the sustainability goals and everything, there is such a desire for targets and for objectives, right? It's almost like, yes, yes, let's set ourselves objectives to do this and let's set ourselves targets and then we'll get there and it will be fine. But these are not, and I've said this so many times before, these are not a strategy. These are not a vision. These are just action points. You know, that's it. Action points—it's a to-do list. And for me, those targets and objectives, particularly when we look at SDGs and and uh, you know net zero and so on, they are part of the damage control kind of approach. Nature governance is more into the regenerative paradigm, um, where we are looking at the cultural evolution. Of, uh, of humankind. And by cultural, I, I mean the way of life that we choose to develop. What do we cultivate? What do we nurture? Therefore, there are no clear objectives or targets that are linked to nature governance. There is only a vision to practice. It's like when you choose to practice a martial art. I practice Aikido. And, I, and when you practice Aikido, you will, as far as I'm concerned, it, there is no aim to achieve a particular level. That's my personal view. I don't aim for the dan grades or anything like that. I'm not interested. I love the practice of it and what it brings uh, to me, the balance that it brings to me. That's what nature governance is. It's like dancing. It's like art. There is no aim. There is only the enjoyment of being and doing something that has value for all of us in the grand scheme and for me the grand scheme is you know abundance for all joy for all and as idealistic as it might sound as far-fetched as it might sound it's like well why is it far-fetched why is it far-fetched to actually wish that we are all happy I mean isn't it the 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 U.S. constitutions that has you know the pursuit of happiness I would change it I don't want to be in pursuit. I don't want to chase anything. The cultivation of happiness. This is what nature governance is. How do we cultivate good relations? How do we cultivate good behaviors or behavioral patterns that are in balance with each other? Because governance, in the way that I understand it, I mean, the, the basic definition is that it's a set of um, structures, principles and values Um that you know enable an organization or a uh, you know or an entity to to be responsible and to be accountable. So governance in the sense of nature governance, it's a system of self-regulation. You know the way that your body will regulate itself in terms of temperatures, in terms of like stress and anxiety. For me, this is how I look at at governance. It's the self-regulation of our systems. Okay, for balance. That's the the, the bottom line of governance for me. How do we cultivate and nurture inner balance within ourselves, within our collective? How do we cultivate responsibility? And therefore, how do we cultivate accountability when we are out of balance? And it's it's not a blame game. It's understanding how to course correct when we are out of kilter, how to care, how to heal when we are out of kilter. I don't go for the punishment that's not what governance is about it's more towards you know mm. i suppose relational or redistributive justice you know restorative justice so so nature governance is uh is about bringing nature consciousness back into human ways of making decisions and relating to the to ourselves and to the world at large and therefore understanding that our actions have a consequence. So how nature governance would look like, or does look like already in the way that, you know, we practice it in different areas, um, it's a structure that looks at different ways. So if you look at nature governance, particularly, I look at it from three perspectives, um, the voice of nature, the vote of nature and the way of nature. So these are the three lines. The voice of nature is understanding, it's it's really listening and understanding nature as a whole, you know, and it's not just environmental, ecological nature, it's the nature of being, the nature of self, the nature of the collective, the nature of our relations, the nature of business, the nature of politics, it's the nature of things, right, which is the characteristic of a particular entity. What makes it take, What makes it what it is? That's where we have to choose what it means us and when we look at nature nature is not necessarily you know the most positive thing because nature can be destructive nature can be ruthless yes all of these ways so when I think about nature governance I think about balance because what we perceive as being ruthless might be what is necessary to achieve balance but it's you know from a human perspective that can be quite dangerous because we've seen what it <laughs> what we do when we are ruthless with each other the difference is i think in well as far as i'm concerned in nature ruthlessness is is not anchored in cruelty you know it's it's just like we are looking at the situation i guess from a human perspective anyway so you're looking at the voice of nature and what it means to be nature and to speak as nature And different aspects of nature, we can look at it from an ecocentric perspective, which is nature as a whole, the planet, or we can look at it from a biocentric perspective, which means, you know, we're looking at, you know, biosystems and and, and so on, or or specific communities like the tree communities or the river communities and so on. Um, Then you're looking at the vote of nature. And this is where I think there is actually an element of, of, uh, of like catch 22 in a way, because nature is voting in a human system. This is what this is what I find absolutely fascinating, because up until now, you know, humans have told nature what to do, but now humans have to listen to nature, which is very much aligned with uh, some of the indigenous cultures. You know, nature tells human beings because humans are part of nature. So that vote is understanding how to vote as nature. That's where we look at governance, and the what I tend to advocate is first. How can we vote in a way that is aligned with a particular principle or a particular vision? And I use the four levels of consciousness of Bernard Lonergan and uh, Daniel Helminiak. They have established that first, in order to become conscious, or we realize that we become conscious when we pay attention to our experience. So first, we have an experience. It's empirical. Second, we analyze that experience when we start making sense of it then we ascribe values to that experience we're starting to give it meaning and then we decide it's the judgment element we decide how to behave what is the next step according to that value so there is a natural flow here what i experience is what i feel When I analyze it it's what it means you know how like what 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 is all of this it's like emotional literacy here and then when I look at the value it's like what do I value from this experience what does it actually mean to me what can I what is my pearl of wisdom here and based on that pearl of wisdom this is what is going to influence my decision this is how we become conscious in our decision making process because every action that we take is determined by a belief based on on an experience that we've had, that we've interpreted in a particular way. So from a nature consciousness perspective, when we vote in in that way, we have to understand then, what is my belief system here? What is the core of it? And for me, the principles that are at the core of that relationship is relational. It is reciprocal. And it has to be regenerative in terms of human behaviours. So whatever I do then has to be aligned with those, those values. When I reach those decisions, this is what I offer. This is the gift. And then there is the way of nature. And the way of nature is when you think about nature on the board, when you think about nature governance as a whole, and there are, you know, the Earthal Centre has developed like four circles of articulation Um, of nature governance we have nature on the board where we have a nature proxy sitting on the board of directors or a board of governors or as trustee we also have nature um, as professional development where we have a nature coach who is helping managers leaders directors um, you know get into that frame of uh, into that mind frame into that culture in a culture that in a leadership and we also have um nature in project development where we are looking okay you know if if nature on the board is too big (laughs) a step for some you're looking at project development then um how do you take little small step how to cultivate that that sense of nature consciousness in what you do and there is nature in cultural um, evolution which is much more grassroots based and that tends to be grassroots-led, but with support and help in what it what it might mean. So when you look at at all of these areas, um, you know the way of nature will vary. It's not the same for any of these areas. Um, and if you have nature on the board, for instance, the way of nature will be in the governance level. Um, how how do we make decision? How do we strategize? How do we look at the overall picture of a particular company or organization's mission and vision, but also looking at the cultural, uh, you know, essence of that mission, what it means to the world and what it means to the organization. So it's again, when you look at the organization, the organization is like the individual, it's the dot at the center. And, you know, the community and the society is the circle around. So what nature governance is, is not a one size fits all. And Therefore, objectives and targets will depend for on each of these organizations or structures or individuals. But what we are offering, what nature governance is offering, is a way of thinking that is different, is a way of feeling as well, because this is what has been missing, you know, for, for, for at least two or three centuries, we have been told that we have to separate ourselves from our emotional side, we have to be rational. But the mind without the heart is a dangerous thing. When, you know, the way I look at it is that when, when we don't feel, it's easy to kill. When we don't feel, we don't have empathy. We don't have compassion. We can look and we can make, we can look at, at, at a situation and make the hard decisions, not because they are hard for us, because they are hard for the people there, but we are okay with the consequences because we don't feel. Because if we do feel and understand that we are relational, we wouldn't make those decisions. We would figure out a way to balance this. This is what nature governance is about. It's about balance, it's about harmonizing. It's not about antagonizing interests. You know, even that expression that I keep on hearing in the business world, or even actually in the in the legal world, you know, conflicting interests, conflicting interests. Why do we keep on thinking that my interest, because it's different from yours, is conflicting with yours? It's conflicting if the outcome has to be one way or another. But if we both agree that there might be a third way, a middle way, a harmonious way, then our interests are not conflicting. They're coming together and there is a word that I, I really really didn't like for a long time just compromise and then i realized recently i thought oh playing with words great stuff but compromise now to me sounds like it's composing with what we have and harmonizing so it's like you know it's like making a salad right uh, and the vinaigrette that you make for the salad it could be incredibly sour <laughs> or it could be too sweet When you think about these, these are conflicting tastes. This is how we could look at it, or they are simply different tastes. And once we understand the differences of these tastes, how do we compose in order to achieve a taste that we can all appreciate? We have to harmonize. That's what nature governance is about. And it certainly isn't about telling anybody what to do. We have tried that. We have tried that. We've been told by our religions. We've been told by our political systems. We've been told by so many different institutional systems what to do on the assumption that human beings are not good enough to make their own decisions as a collective. We've been sold this. We can't make that decision as a collective. We can only do this through representative democracy. I don't disagree with that but when the system of representative democracy is not is actually based on principles that do not harmonize with the whole that's when it becomes mm, not authentic anymore and for me this is what i'm i'm seeing today in the world that lack of harmonization because we are aiming to sustain, you know even the concept of sustainability oh yes yeah, sustainability objectives yes what are we sustaining are we sustaining the existing system Because sustainability is that, it's about sustaining something, or are we sustaining life on Earth? Because there is a great difference. If we are about sustaining life on Earth, our behaviors would be very, very different. And the way that we operate under the SDGs would be different. But if the aim is to sustain the existing system, the SDGs are only there to mitigate some of our behaviors, some of our activities, but it's not in fact truly regenerative for the Earth. So we have to ask ourselves these questions. What is our vision
1: and i'm absolutely fascinated by this idea of being told what to do specifically since so many of our list of our listeners are in schools and this idea of being told what to do by the system what stories are important whose stories are important which all comes really from the source of power who gets to decide uh and and why and i'm also thinking about in parallel what you mentioned about these principles and how there's not one size fits all Principles themselves can probably be kind of, you know, kind of customized for culture or something, but there's a certain spirit there that that has to stay intact. But what comes about comes about much like everything in nature, on its own, its own growth. And then I think about the other story, which is really the same story as schools, you know, management by objectives, KPIs, OKRs, all those things that we're told are the way to run companies or Really, at the end of the day, grades or achievement is the same thing as a KPR and AKR. I mean, it's the same. It's the same source of, uh, of 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 domination in some ways. I'd like to get your your views on on how systems, wherever they might be, be be they you know any kind of living system, any kind of organization, any kind of person, might be able to start coming to grips with what some principles might make sense. How we can have again this this tension between, but this complementarity between universal principles of of nature if that's possible but also making them connect and relatable to to place and to space
0: Mm. okay um firstly when you say universal principles i think it's worth noting that when we talk about universal there is often a an assumption that is being made that when we say universal it means that it applies to everybody I know that but it's not so much that it's it's not like a top-down it's not it, for me this is universal principles are not like a top-down whereby these are the principles and it applies to everybody no it's a bottom-up these are the principles that are the baseline so these are the principles of relation and everybody can relate to them in the way that makes sense to them in their context in their circumstances from a subjective perspective. I mean, we have had, since the Enlightenment in particular, such an obsession with objectivity, objectifying everything, categorizing everything, measuring everything, as though there is like an absolute truth. There isn't. I don't believe there is an absolute truth. There are truths because every single one of us is is involved in that experience. You know, like right now, you and I are having this conversation, but the way that I will describe this conversation to my friend will be different to the way you, you will describe this to your friends. Our listeners, they're having the a, a similar conversation, you know, in their heads with us, but the way they're experiencing it is different and the way they will think about it and relate to it will be according to their own perspective, where, you know, every single one of us, how do I feel today, you know? How, where am I at in my life right now for this conversation to make sense? In what sense does it make? Because even if we listen to this in 10 years time, we will be like, ah, oh, now that means something different again. So principles are guidelines. They are broad, universal truth that we have chosen. It's not something that is objective. And we have to take responsibility for this, that we choose as human beings, we choose what matters in the sense that what matters is what is manifested. Matter is the materialization of what we believe in. You know, I like to think that how I feel inspires where my mind, you know, goes and where my mind goes, energy follows and matter arises. So those principles are there to remind us what might be what we want and the key about you know these principles and how to move forward you know and when you think about so the kpis you know as you said and the okrs and so on is that we have removed responsibility from individuals with targets and objectives and we have removed diversity and innovation and creativity and imagination Targets and objectives can be can help us achieve a particular goal, but they are not a way of life. When they become a way of life, it becomes mechanic because we literally end up doing these things because they have to be done. For me, this is what sometimes tradition can be. Oh, it's always been done, so let's keep on doing this. But, you know, the point is evolution has to be agile, is agile. So human evolution has to learn to adjust and adapt and evolve with what is needed. So a principle that will mean something today will mean something different in 10 years. The same as peace, right? I'm going back to the European Union. When we first started with the European Union, the aim was peace. What did we understand by it? Peace as in the absence of war. Now. After 75 years, what does peace actually mean? Okay, we have war in Ukraine, um, which is not part of the European Union, but it's literally on the doorstep, and Ukraine has applied as well. But over, over 70 years, peace became less about the absence of war and more about peaceful relations. So there are different stages, different interpretation different means of what it means when we talk about principles you know, one one, one of the reasons why the principle of human dignity is enduring one of the reasons why the principle of freedom of expression is enduring, it's because it doesn't mean anything in particular, but it means everything in in a context you know, what does it mean freedom of expression for us today what does it mean to be Peace today. I mean, you know, the, the 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 UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres did say, "Humans are at war with nature." In that dividing, you know, paradigm, that separation paradigm. How do we become peaceful? This is where we look for these principles, not the objectives, because these are steps. You know, it's like tidying up your bedroom, right? Sustainability is tidying up your bedroom. (laughs) Nature governance is creating a space that is really lovely to be in, that you enjoy spending time and reading or being with your friends. The steps and objectives are, you know, I'm going to pick up the clothes off the floor. I'm going to make my bed. But picking up the clothes off the floor and making your bed are not a way of life. These are things that you do in order to enjoy a particular space nature governance with nature governance principles are looking for a way of life a way of being a way of being within ourselves with each other within the whole this is why it's not a one-size-fits-all and this is why it is anchored in responsibility and intentionality what are our intentions what do we envision in the sense of what do we want to experience? What do we want to manifest? What do we want to enjoy? What is the experience we want to enjoy? How do we seek joy? There's a beautiful poem by Jojo um, Meta, who is one of the originators of the ecocide um, definition. And she wrote that poem in honor of Polly Higgins, Dear Dandelion, and I'm, I'm just reminded right now of the three first lines, you know, first, do no harm. Care for all life and seek joy.
1: That's nature governance. That is nature governance. Awesome. I really appreciate your time. This has been uh, such a wonderfully inspiring conversation. And I absolutely love how we started off right before recording saying we'll see where life will take us where the flow will take us and, and this has been that wonderfully emergent conversation that i really appreciate it.
0: thank you thank you ben i really enjoyed this and thank you for giving me this time to flow <laughs> with you
1: this has been the coconut thinking podcast thank you so much for listening check out our website where you'll find articles resources connections partnerships and that's www.coconutthinking.com. thinkingcom that's www.coconutthinking.com and of course, Nature on the School Board, com, and www.intrepidentnews.com for Intrepid News. Speak to you soon, leave five stars, subscribe if you like the podcast, pass it on to your friends. We always look forward to your comments and until next time, bye-bye.